0: All right, well, good morning everybody it's good to see you this morning. My name is levi i 'm one of the pastors here at christ Redeemer Church um, and if you're if you 're a guest here or if you 're relatively new here um, just just so you know my I, I preach on a rotational basis, just kind of well more i don 't know if it's rotational or, or as needed i 'm not sure what but um uh, but this is one of those mornings where i'm i 'm preaching this morning typically i 'm over here. Uh, singing like, uh, like Dana led us in our worship this morning. Um, but anyway, I'm happy to be able to uh, to preach this morning. We're actually going to finish up a series, just so you know. We're going to finish up a series this morning. Uh, it's a series called The Empowered Church, and it's been a series about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we started it about, I looked it up this week, like 20 months ago, roughly 21 months ago, perhaps. Um, it's just been, uh, today's the 10th sermon, of this series, and we're just gonna we're gonna bring it to we're gonna land the plane uh, this morning. We're gonna bring this to an end in part because uh, coming up in in January, we are gonna pick up a uh, Pastor Brett's gonna take us through a series about the gifts of the Spirit. So we're gonna continue this Holy Spirit conversation. It's just gonna look a little bit different. The topic is gonna be a little bit narrowed on specifically the gifts of the Spirit. So I'm really looking forward to it. But we're gonna bring this series to a close today, and then look forward to that. In in January. Uh, Over the course of um, preaching about the person, the work of the Holy Spirit, we have talked about how the Spirit is involved in the process of conviction of sin, talked about being baptized in the Spirit, talked about being filled with the Spirit, continually filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The last few times I've preached, it's been uh, specifically looking at uh, sins, particular sins that Believers, people who are trusting in Jesus, um, need to be warned of concerning sinning against the Holy Spirit in some specific ways. And today, we're going to wrap this up just by talking about the, the Holy Spirit's ministry of freedom that He brings to, uh, to our lives. So it's going to be, that's the topic today, is the freedom in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but in my experience, freedom in the Spirit is a kind of a confusing topic, believe it or not. It's a little bit fuzzy in terms of what we're talking about when we talk about the freedom of the Holy Spirit, the freedom in the Holy Spirit. I think it's in part because we're Americans, and we have a particular view of freedom that we're entrenched in, whether we want it to be or not. It's this idea of independence, right? This autonomy, that I'm the master of my own fate kind of freedom. And the problem is that when you open up your Bible, you're like, ah, that's not the same freedom here. This, these are different. And so I think sometimes that gets sort of mixed into our view of freedom, and it gets a little bit fuzzy. Another reason I think maybe freedom's a little bit of a fuzzy topic for us is, um, in part, because of some of the worship songs that we sing. They, they, they're, they're fine songs in and of themselves, good songs, and I'm being a worship pastor, I I read, I read a lot of, look at a lot of songs, listen to a lot of songs, songs about freedom, and in one sense, I really enjoy them, I I like them, but I'm also kind of, oftentimes with like worship songs concerning the freedom of the Spirit, I'm also kind of left with some questions, like, what exactly are we talking about here? Are we, what is freedom here? I got one that I really like this song, but here's, here's one line I'm talking about, one chorus, and you'll recognize it. Go (laughs) newsboys. I am free to run... I am free to dance, and I am free to live for you. Granted, a song doesn't sound as awesome without the music and the band, okay? I'm not really trying to take pot shots at this song. I like it. But I remember the first time I sang that song in a church service, and I was in my early 20s or something like that, mid-20s, and I just remember thinking, I don't know what I'm singing right now. What does it run and dance? And I, mean, I can apply certain things to that, but I was kind of like, what are, we, what are we talking about here? What exactly? Now, free to live for you. I love that line. I think we could just repeat that one over and over. But it, a little bit fuzzy, a little bit like I'm not exactly sure what we're singing here, but I like the feeling. I just don't know what exactly we're, we're saying. Or here's another one. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, that's from the Bible. Those are good words, okay? <laughs> don't hear Don't take this the wrong way. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we repeat this line come out of the dark just as you are into the fullness of his love again not trying to take a pot shot here and i like the words it's just there's a little bit of an ambiguity to you can't just repeat the line over and over and assume we all know what we're talking about right and a lot of times songs can just assume for some reason with the topic of freedom it can assume we're all on the same page here when we in fact we are not freedom for what freedom to do whatever you want Uh, Are we talking about emotional freedom? Are we talking about freedom just to be yourself, freedom to be authentic? For you, it might mean one thing, and for me, it might mean something totally different. So how does the Bible kind of flesh this out? Can we come together on an understanding of of what we're singing? And then go sing those songs with sort of an informed sense of, of what it is we're celebrating. One other issue I have with some of the ways we worship in song with this idea of freedom is that it seems like you always have to be super pumped up and excited all the time when you talk about our freedom in the Spirit. you got to just be pumped. (laughs) But in fact, you know, we come together on a Sunday morning perhaps or you you just go before the Lord by yourself and you come a lot of times with some level of grief. Like there's some level of sadness. There's some, some doubt or some weariness maybe in your heart. Or sin, just just heavy by sin. And, and, and a song that kind of demands that you get super pumped up now actually kind of lands on you like a ton of bricks and you go the opposite direction. I, like, I'm going to shut down. I don't feel this. And so I'm not, I don't even know what to do here anymore. It has exactly the opposite effect. I don't think freedom has to always be rah, rah, rah. Like I don't think that's always necessarily how you have to feel. I think we can celebrate it. I think we should celebrate it not saying that's off limits or something. I just think the ministry of freedom applies when you're in tears just as much as it applies when you're super happy. It covers every spectrum of, of kind of where we're at in life. And I'm hoping that this morning we can look at it and see. I can just kind of flesh that out a little bit. It won't be perfect, but I want to kind of flesh that out. This freedom, it applies no matter how you're feeling or what season of life you're going through or what's happening. It's meant to be encouraging, Right where you're at, right now. And so, hopefully it will be this morning. Um, Before we jump into the text itself, let's just go ahead and pray, and then we'll um, open up our Bibles. Uh, Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful uh, for your presence here this morning with us. I'm thankful that your Spirit is here, and that uh, your Spirit is working do ask God that you would graciously help us to open up our hearts to you today to hear you um, to commune with you lord to to receive what whatever whatever you have for us I guess this morning lord and i I do pray Jesus just as we look at this topic as I studied it and read about it, I realize even now as I preach, this is going to come up way short of what <laughs> what freedom really is, and yet I do pray God that in that it would be a nourishment for our souls, Lord, and you would help uh, move us in the right direction here, God, this morning. And so, trust you for that. Ask you for, um, just for your grace this morning for all of us here. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, go ahead and, and grab your Bible and, and open it up to 2 Corinthians. I'll have some of the text on the screen. If you, if you don't have a Bible here, you forgot it or didn't bring one or whatever, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers could get you one too. So feel free to do that. Otherwise, I do have the words up here for the most part. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 16, and then we're going to jump around a little bit here this morning. Um, I know that that thing is really noisy right now, so if we can turn that off until it gets too cold, that would be awesome. If you're sitting right under it, you hear a lot of noise right now. We're trying to get it fixed. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse 16. "But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's our line. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. There are um, three points that I want to look at, three, three ways that the Spirit leads us into freedom this morning from these verses. And the first one is simply this. The Spirit sets us free by removing the veil. It's right there in verse 16. The Spirit sets us free by removing the veil. Look at verse 16 again. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we're parachuting into a text here, right? We've jumped out of a plane. We're coming down. We've landed on the ground. I want to, like, get a lay of the land here real quick. We're jumping into the middle of a book that we haven't been studying lately. And here's what's happening real briefly. Paul is in the middle of trying to explain to the Corinthians that the Old Covenant, your Old Testament, Exodus, Deuteronomy, these, this Old Covenant in Moses— was always meant to be a temporary covenant. It wasn't a forever thing. It always pointed to the need for something more, a better covenant of some sort. And this new covenant has now arrived in Jesus. Jesus was broken for you. His body was broken. His blood was shed for your sin in order that you might be made righteous by faith in him. This is the new covenant. We celebrate it when we receive the Lord's Supper together. This new covenant is far more superior to the old covenant. But in this context, in this situation, the Corinthians were actually quite... The old covenant was quite compelling still. It had some advantages that, that they would kind of return to. And they, they want to kind of have both, perhaps. Kind of bring them together. But bring this Moses thing along. And, Mo, and Paul is saying, look, that's not how it works. It was always meant to be temporary. It was always meant to lead into a new covenant. The Old Covenant, it was glorious, for sure, to a degree. And he talks about that. He says Moses' face, back in Exodus, it would glow. He'd go meet with God, he'd come back out, and his face would be glowing to the point where he would have to put a veil over his face. But then his face would always do what? It'd fade away. It'd come back to normal, right? This was a sign to them. This, this glory is a fading glory. This covenant is a fading covenant. It is glorious, but it's a fading kind of glory. And then Paul grabs that veil theme in our verses here, and he uses it metaphorically. He's saying, this veil, this is like our hardness of heart. This is, it's, it's, it's a spiritual deadness. Jump up a few verses. Now that I've kind of laid that out a little bit, go up a few verses to, to verse 12. Same chapter, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. He says this, Since we have such a hope... In this glorious, permanent new covenant in Jesus, that is, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. A veil is just simply, we know what that is. It's simply something that blocks your view. There's something there, but you can't see it. There's a veil in, in its place. You can't actually perceive it. Um, Augustine had an illustration that I've used, and when you don't preach often, you get to reuse illustrations faster. But Augustine had this illustration that he would use, and he would say um, that when we're born, all of us, all of humanity, when you're born, you're born bent to the earth was his phrase or with your face with your face to the earth this is your this is your spiritual condition so to speak and you're all and we're all this way and we all kind of like all we can see is the ground we know that there's something up there we might perceive that there might be something up there but this is our condition and we walk around and we bump into other people who are also looking at the ground and we talk about what's up there you know what what could this thing be and perhaps we bump into somebody who, who has seen up there and is trying to explain it to us. But this still is our condition and we can't actually do anything about it. This is how we live until the veil is lifted, until the Spirit of God takes you from here and takes you here to where you can actually look up and you can behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. But this is a spirit work. It's not something that you can actually accomplish. I think this is what Paul is saying. When the veil is removed, you look up and you actually see God for who he is. And it's something that's done to you. It's not something you can—it's it's the verb, even in Greek. It's passive. It's like the, the veil is taken away from you. It just means that there's no amount of, like, personal effort or striving that can, that can cause you to go from here to here— or can take a veil away. There's nothing you can do. There's no religious duty that you can do. You can go to a thousand church services or play on a a worship team in your church. You can feed starving children, take care of the homeless, give away all your money, grow up in a Christian home, go to a Christian school. You can be a pastor, and that doesn't take away the veil. None of that actually works. The veil is removed by the power of the Spirit. What do you do? Because you do something. uh, Peter says it in Acts chapter 2. He just says simply, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. And the Holy Spirit does the rest of it for you. This act of repentance, this is in verse 16, by the way, when it says, when one turns to the Lord, this turning to the Lord is like, is a word for repentance. Paul uses it elsewhere. It's this idea that I'm walking one way, where basically I'm in charge of my life, I make my decisions, I, I choose my happiness, and I go for it that way. Uh, and and it's, it's really just a life of bondage to sin is what it is. But here you go, and repentance is actually this idea of You've turned from all of that, and now Jesus is king. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your joy. He's your treasure, and you follow him. It's this, this turning, but this all of this turning is just a miraculous work of the Spirit. It's the veil coming off. It's you seeing God for who he is. And I don't want to just gloss over that too quickly this morning, because in a gathering where, a public gathering where we proclaim this, I just want to say, if if this is not you this repent and be baptized if this is, doesn't describe you this morning then please consider it please consider Jesus please repent and be be baptized please please come and follow Christ he is God he is our savior and his covenant is so much better and 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 following him is that, that's that's uh, there's nothing more. There's nothing greater in this life, and so I would just appeal to you. I'd ask you to consider repenting, turning to Christ, being baptized, even. And I'd push on baptism too. I mean, if you if you say, "Yeah, I've repented, but I haven't been baptized," go all the way. Get a little skin in the game. Things change when you get baptized. You'll see something happens. Something something's different in your life. When I, I remember, when I got baptized. I was 13 years old. And we didn't have the process we have here with teenagers where we kind of want to take them through a little bit of a process to make sure it's not just mom and dad's faith, but it's your faith, you know. We didn't have that, but, but I still, it was my faith. And I remember after, I, after that year, man, within a, within a year, I lost all my friends. They were all gone. Not because I got baptized, but because it actually, like, meant something to me, and there were things that I just wouldn't do and not that I was perfect, but there was just, I knew there was something real. You get a little skin in the game with baptism. There's something about the public declara- declaration that Jesus is Lord. I'm following him. He is my supreme joy. He's my king. He's my treasure. So please consider it. We have a baptism service coming up here January 6th, by the way. So I mean to like, press that on you now. Just, just consider that. But as one author said, freedom from something is always freedom for something else. The nature of freedom is not that we just sit there and think about being free, but it actually sets us free for something. If you think about um, uh, uh, refugees who come to America or maybe come to go to another country, they're, fl- they're fleeing something, right? They're, they're, they're getting away from some kind of um, bad situation, in hopes for a better life. Freedom freedom by nature is a forward-looking, forward-propelling kind of thing. So, what does the freedom that we have look for? Or look like? What do we do with it as free people? Number two, I would say this. The Spirit sets us free to sacrificially love others. The Spirit sets us free to sacrificially love love others. And this is where I think sometimes the worship songs come up a little bit short, or the Christian songs come up a little bit short, because it feels like, and and not all the time, but it feels like it's really just 4th of July. You know, we're just celebrating our freedom. We're so excited about our freedom, and 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 we should. We should celebrate our freedom. In fact, Sunday morning is a great chance to come together and celebrate our freedom. But like the 4th of July, there's we don't do that every day do we we actually just kind of live in the freedom you just you get up the next morning on July 5th and you live in this free country you don't go watch the fireworks again right it's you live it every single day this freedom propels us to live something and i would say it propels us to live lives of sacrificial love if you go to flip over a few pages to galatians chapter 5 and then we'll come back to second corinthians but i want in galatians paul makes this more explicit um, and in Second Corinthians, he, it's kind of implied it's in the context. So go to Galatians 5. Paul says this, you were, <clears throat> For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's not self-promoting, right? But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. The whole law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. Christ came, he fulfilled the law, and now if your faith is in Christ, you're empowered by the Spirit to go do exactly what the law intended in the first place for us to do, which was just Love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, loving your neighbor as yourself is connected to loving God. You, you can't take loving God and loving neighbor apart. They're, they're just intertwined. They're connected. Even when the religious leaders asked, asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment, he didn't say one. He said both, that you can't disconnect these things. Loving your neighbor as yourself. But did you catch that the nature of that love is Service through love, serve one another. And I think this is kind of what makes our love as a, as a, as a church, as believers, as Christians, this is, this is what's meant to be kind of distinctive to us, is that we don't just love the easily lovable. We don't just love when it's convenient to us. That's not how Jesus was with us, right? We weren't necessarily lovable, but he loved us. And this is, this is a distinctive for us. We're set free... To love sacrificially. In Galatians six, if you went over just one chapter, an example of this is given, where um, we'll read it in a second. But uh, it talks about coming alongside one another in in love, or in humility and in gentleness. <clears throat> I'll, I'll wait to read it here. But coming alongside one another in humility and gentleness, bearing one another's burdens, what are those burdens? A struggle with sin. I don't know if you've ever had to come alongside someone and help bear their sin struggle. It's exhausting. It's hard work. There's nothing easy about it. It sounds like a nice thing, but if you've actually, if you've actually done it, it's, it's tiring. It's hard it's it's a it's a sacrificial it's a serving, Galatians six one two it says it this way brothers if anyone's caught in a transgression or sin you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted, and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think Paul exemplifies this same kind of like, um, sacrificial. Love. So go back to Second Corinthians. Just look at a couple examples from Paul. In chapter 2, it's, a, it's kind of an example of kind of a loving confrontation he's having with the, sec, with the Corinthians here. He's confrontational, but he's, he's, he's loving as well at the same time. Chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He's talking about a letter that we don't have anymore. It's, it's gone. We don't, we don't have it. And Sometimes it's called the tearful letter or the severe letter. And it was evidently a letter written to the Corinthians that um, was hard for Paul to write. It probably had a correction or a rebuke of some sort. It was probably um, not easy for them to read it or to receive it. And that's why Paul explains that, look, it's because I loved you. It's because I do love you that I, write, I, that I wrote a letter like this. And when you love someone, the last thing you want to do is like intentionally hurt them, isn't it? When you genuinely love someone, you don't want to intentionally hurt that person. But if that person, if there's something about it where you know the road they're on is, is destructive in some way— um, it's, it's not going to be good for them at the end of the day, and you genuinely love them, you step into that situation, don't you? You step into it, even though you're risking to some degree the relationship or the, the ease of the relationship in some way, perhaps. You're stepping into it knowing that you could get rejected. You can get misunderstood in that moment, but you genuinely love this person. This is what our love looks like. It's self-sacrificing. There is a death to self when you step into a situation like that. But it is actually right and, and good. It's sacrificial. And the aim of it is, in that kind of situation, it's, I want, I want this person to experience the joy and the life and the, the, the freedom that comes in Christ, but they need help with it. I need to, I need to insert myself in some way to help them with it. That's why Paul says in chapter 4, he says, death might be at work in me with my sufferings, a variety of sufferings, but, I'm, but life is at work in you. So death is in me and life is in you. And sometimes love calls us to just basically say, I hate what I have to do right now, but i got to tell you something. i got to explain something to you. Or maybe it's not exactly like that. It can be a less close connection or relationship. It could just be a neighbor that rejects you over and over and over. (laughs) And you're you're trying to show them love and you're trying to care and there's just this constant rejection. That is what we're called to. Sacrificial kind of love. Paul also shows that you can speak truth. You can speak truth to someone who needs to hear it? But you. But it's not truth without like this loving relationship that that he, Paul goes out of his way to demonstrate to the Corinthians. Like I really, really love you. I got to tell you this, but I really, really love you. And sometimes when we have to do kind of the tough love thing, which nobody likes to do, we're really, really strong on the tough and a little weak on the love. You know, we come out a little bit too hot a lot of times and kind of like. That didn't go very well. Here, Paul is an example of someone who's both tough and strong and he's going to speak the truth because he loves, but then he follows that up with this strong appeal to say, I love you, I love you, I care about you. Go to, go to 2 Corinthians 6. You just see it here. Paul says to the Corinthians after he's said a lot of things so far, trying to correct them on some things, he says, look, we have spoken freely to you Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You're not restricted to us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In other words, you're you're not returning the affection here. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. Paul's just saying, I've been so open. I'm loving you. I'm caring about you. I've sacrificed my body for you. Accept me, Hear me. Receive what I'm saying because as you do this, at least in their situation, it's concerning the gospel. And he's saying, if you accept me, you're accepting the gospel that I, that I preach, that I proclaim to you. But do you just catch the vulnerability of that? My heart's wide open. Please don't reject me. Please don't turn away. Paul's not an example of somebody who guards his heart. He's not, he's not insulating himself with this church. He's not saying, well, when you're ready, we'll go ahead and, and, and figure things out. He's, he's pressing into them. He seems to look to me a lot like Jesus, who, doesn't, who didn't guard his heart, right? He didn't guard his body, but, but hung on a cross. There was no guarding going on at all. He didn't protect himself, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And in the same way, we are now freed up, set free, To see what our truest joy really is. It's in following Jesus. And we pursue it. And oftentimes we pursue it in love that is sacrificial to us. But we're pursuing just like Christ saw the joy set before him. So we pursue this joy in loving one another sacrificially. I think one of the reasons this is hard for us to do. And oftentimes I fail at this. Oftentimes you'll fail at this as well is one of the reasons is that we, we just don't recognize the Spirit's presence in our lives who empowers us and leads us into this. We default. I default. I know I default to self-effort immediately. Like, oh, I gotta go do this thing. It's my duty. It's my Christian duty to to go be loving or we or, we're, or super self-protective in some way. Thomas spoke to some of this last week of just, just a, a self-protection, like a distance, a little bit of a buffer between you and me and, and this, is, this is all like self-conjured love is what it is. It's super self-protective. It's duty-driven. It's an obligation. It's joyless. And I think in part that happens because we're just not recognizing the Spirit's right here with us. The Spirit is empowering you. The Spirit leads you in this. Don't, don't strike out there on your own to do it, but be in fellowship with the Spirit in that. I think to, to do this, to, to live a life, of, a, a life of freedom, this life of loving one another, loving our neighbor, we need to see that uh, one other important freedom that the Spirit brings to us. Number three, the Spirit sets us free to gaze upon the glory of the Lord. The Spirit sets us free to gaze upon the glory of the Lord. Verse 18 says this, look at this again, and we all with unveiled faces now beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are free, get this, we're free to behold the glory of the Lord. Don't gloss over that. We're free to behold the glory of the Lord. It's this beholding, it's an internal gaze. Chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians says this, God, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This beholding happens deep within your soul. And get this, you're, you're free to behold the glory of God, but you're not forced to behold God. The glory of God. This is a freedom. This is an invitation now to come and behold the glory of God. It's going to require you to actually do something. I was watching a, a documentary on Yosemite last night, <clears throat> and now I want to go see Yosemite. I've never been to see Yosemite National Park. I'd love to see it. Or if you want to go see the Grand Canyon, you want to see the beauty, you want to behold the beauty of the Grand Canyon, well, you're free to go. You, 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 can, you can do it. But you actually have to like do it. You have to plan on it. You got to get in the car. You got to sort of figure out how is this going to work. I want to go see this. In the same way, we're, we're invited to behold the glory of God. But there's like something that it starts with some desire, right? Do you, do you desire to see the glory of God? Do you, do you, do you want to? to see it. So when I pick up my Bible, do I want to see the glory of God here, or do I want to just get done with something? (laughs) Like, just read a few verses and move along with my day, or coming to a worship service, or whatever, just in prayer, it's easy to kind of go through the motions after a while and, and to forget that we have been invited and set free to actually come and behold the glory of God. And so we need the Spirit to help us in this, But if the spirit for you is like um, Star Wars, the force, this inanimate thing that's sort of out there that you have to get in touch with, or if the spirit is a, a, like, a, like an electrical socket that you kind of plug in and then you get juiced up and then you head out, you're, you're missing how this beholding happens because the spirit is, in fact, a person. And if you're with a person, it takes some time. It takes some, 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 some kind of effort. You listen a little bit. You slow down a little bit, right? <clears throat> you have to create some kind of margin to like, actually just be with God and listen and meditate and reflect and, and soak, in, soak in His Word, but know that I'm not just alone doing this. God is with me right now. The Spirit is in me. He's alive in me. This is how we behold, I think. Now, when I talk about stuff like this, I, I think, practically, and I think of, I think of my wife, I think of being a mother of four children, two in diapers, (laughs) and I and I think, how does someone who can't get ten minutes to take a shower in a day, go now and behold the glory of God for an hour at some point? You know, like it can land, like sort of like. How do I do that? What do you mean behold the glory of God? I can barely function in my day. And you might be in a situation like that where where the workload is is pressing uniquely or something in life is so overwhelming that this idea of going and like calming my heart and being before the Lord is just like, that's a miracle. Are you kidding me? I, I can barely take a shower. And I just want to remind you that God's grace is sufficient for every season it's sufficient for every single season of life and in fact god's presence is with you in those crazy moments when you got a diaper in one hand and a bagel in the other and you give the wrong one to the kid like god is with you in that in that moment it's and because of that it's a sacred moment it really is. It's a, it's a sacred moment, whatever that craziness perhaps looks like. Maybe you didn't get a chance to medica- meditate deeply on, on in scripture or 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 pray or just be with the Lord, but but you're in all throughout the day sacred moments where God is with you. He is present. He doesn't abandon you when life gets crazy. In fact, He is right there. I would just. I think my counsel would just be, Lord, help me see you. Help me see you in the mundane. Help me see you in the crazy. Help me see you when, when, when i when I'm not sure, my whole world sort of just maybe feels upside down. And I just trust, I, I really do believe that the Lord will reveal himself in sort of those mundane moments, those kind of everyday situations. There's opportunities to see his glory because the Spirit is with you. I think one of the most powerful ways that we see, that we gaze upon the glory of God, um, it actually happens most powerfully, it seems like, on the path of, of suffering. It happened that way for Jesus, the glory of God displayed on the cross. It happened that way for Paul. I think that happens, it happens that way in our lives. It's on the path of suffering that we were able to perceive, to see... To enjoy the glory of God, to, to be comforted by the glory of God, because nothing nothing grips us quite like suffering does. we suddenly our vision becomes clearer we 're very attentive to his presence we 're very aware of our need and our weakness we 're really looking to Him with greater hope and, and desire and need and neediness <clears throat> Christ is really all that matters. And in the midst of suffering, I think there's something about those seasons of life that we become more like Christ. We're beholding the glory of God because life is forcing us to do it. We're just, we, it's everywhere around us. We can't actually escape, us, es- escape it. <clears throat> so even in suffering, that's why I say even in tears and sorrow, I think the, the freedom that the Spirit brings is absolutely relevant in those moments because now you are free you're not alone. You're free to behold God in the midst of your suffering. And he reveals himself, I think, in unique ways when we suffer. In Philippians 3.8, it says this. Paul says, Indeed, I count, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And here it is. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I become like him in his death. It sounds a lot like our passage that as we behold him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. So in your, in your suffering, there is, there is um, as much as we run from it and don't want to ever walk through it, we really don't, and I wouldn't necessarily say we should want to, but we do walk through it regardless. Uh, Establish in your heart now that that season, those seasons of life are opportunities to see God in ways more deeply than you've ever been able to perceive him before. To feel him more deeply than you've ever felt him before. There are opportunities there to behold the glory of God and, and you probably will just do it. It's just God's way of, of, of working that deeply in us. So it's encouraging to us even in those moments, this freedom that we have in the Spirit. <clears throat> I just want to close with an illustration this morning. Um, an illustration about fall. We didn't get much of a fall this year. It came and went really fast. Um, but there was this little burst, there always is, this little burst where all the leaves were brilliant. They were brilliant for like a couple of days and then they fell. But it was awesome. And every time I see the leaves change. I'm, there's this, these thoughts that kind of go through my mind, and that is, these leaves. They're as they turn color and become beautiful. They're they're actually dying, is what they're doing. They're they're dying. They get more beautiful and then they and then they die, right? And I think what else in nature is like that? What else like looks more beautiful just before it dies? Animals aren't like that. A flower doesn't look that way. It fades, right? It fades. It gets weak. It, it looks like it's dying. But no, the maple leaf goes the opposite direction. It says, I'm out of here, and I'm going on a high note. And it turns these brilliant, beautiful colors, and it always reminds me of Psalm 116, where it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Because on the outside, yeah, death looks ugly, and it is. It's part of the, part of the curse, part of the fall but in the sight of God, with His saints, it's like a glorious maple leaf. It's this glorious welcome home kind of, kind of um, thing for God. Not that He's not with us in our sorrow, but precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And so it is with suffering too. I think suffering and death; these kinds of things go together. On the outside, it might look like we're wasting away. On the outside, it might look like um, we're weak. But on the inside, we are being transformed by the power of the Spirit from one degree of glory to another until we ultimately peak in our death and are ushered into the presence of Jesus who loves us and who welcomes us. So in suffering, we do not lose heart, though our outer selves are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians four sixteen. And this renewal, this glorious work of the Holy Spirit that's happening in our lives, is just that. It's a work of the Spirit. It's a freedom that the Spirit brings us into. And so I just encourage you to lean into all of that this morning. Lean into loving one another. Lean into depending on the Spirit as you do that. Lean into your suffering, knowing that God is with you and um, He will sustain you. He's working beautiful things out in you. And just trust that God is in control. The Spirit is here. He's with us right here and right now, and you're never, ever, ever, ever alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm... uh, Just on this last note, God, of, of talking about how you, you transform us and you you move us from glory to glory, God, through, oftentimes, not only, but you often do it through our suffering. I pray, God, this morning, just for those who are, um, that's them. I mean, that that's sitting right here this morning, just sitting in the suffering, sitting in the pains of this world, um, sitting in the... Um, Just the grief and the sadness, the the sense of what what are you going to do, God? And what does this look like? What does the future look like? All these kinds of thoughts and things that hit us when we suffer. And I do pray, God, that you would, just pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known. You'd make your presence known. You'd bring your comfort. Um, You'd reveal yourself. You would sustain and you would strengthen your people, God. For those of us who are not in that particular moment right now, God, prepare us for it because it's always coming. It's always around the corner that we might have resolved already that no matter what happens, we trust that the Lord is with us. We know that He's working out good things and we know that He's with us and He doesn't leave us or forsake us. We thank You for the freedom that You have given us in Christ Jesus and now the Holy Spirit leads us to live that out. We praise You that You've allowed us to see You, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, that you've set us free to pursue a greater joy that comes through loving one another, comes in loving one another, in loving you sacrificially. We thank you for the freedom that we have now to come into your presence, to behold the glory of God, and we ask that you'd help us to to do that, to walk in that. Lord, we need you for all of that. And um, again, God, we thank you that you're here with us now. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and stand up and and uh, respond to that with this. Uh, it's a numerous.